0: Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. Okay, very good. It's a pleasure to be with you again, and uh, certainly a privilege to be back into the book of Romans uh, if you would, go ahead and turn to the first chapter of Romans, and we'll be reading uh, there the first 16 verses again this evening. But as you're doing that, I just again wanted to clarify if there's any question with regard to the, uh, the different notes you have. Each week that we're doing this study, you'll have in your bulletin the outline notes that you can use to take notes just like we do in the Sunday morning service, and those are there for you. But in addition, we do have the, um, we do have the outline of the book the analytical outline of Romans, that was in your bulletin last week, but also there's some individual sheets like this that are available, and so I, I would encourage you to take one of these and, and put it in your Bible there, and as you're reading through the book, use this kind of as a guide. In fact, we'll look at it a little bit, we will look at it a little bit this evening. So those are the two, the two resources that you have as we're looking through the book of Romans. So let's go to the book of Romans chapter 1, and we'll begin reading uh, in verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, "'among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. "'To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, "'called to be saints, grace to you and peace "'from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all "'that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. "'For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit "'in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing "'I make mention of you always in my prayers.' making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established. That is that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I do not want you to be unaware brethren that I often planned to come to you but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also just as among of the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Dear Father, as we begin looking into the, the details of this book and look at this introduction that the Apostle Paul gives us, I pray that these would not be things that we would gloss over. Uh, sometimes we we have a tendency to want to get to uh, the meat, so to speak, of uh, of the, the epistle. But everything here is your word, and everything here is important. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us a heart disposition to learn the gospel, to know it, not just to be able to communicate it in words, but to be able to live it out, and to be able to show it, and then to be able to understand it and be able to explain it to those who have questions. Lord, we need what you have for us this, this, this evening in this wonderful book. And I pray that you would open up our understanding, help me to communicate clearly and help us to see the power of God that's here in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. For we pray it in his name, amen. The, uh, the two verses that I put here as sort of the theme verses for this section or for, for this message this evening are found in verses 11 and 12, where Paul says, "'For I long to see you, "'that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. "'To the end you may be established, "'that is, that I may be encouraged together with you "'by the mutual faith, both of you and me.'" Now, we know here that Paul is writing a letter to these folks, and he's telling them, "'I really, really want to come and see you. "'I want to minister to you the truths of the word of God, "'the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ.'" And I want to do that so that you can be established, right? I want to give you some spiritual benefit so that you may be established in this wonderful gospel that I've given you. And uh, although that is what he would like to do in person, since he can't come there, I think it's legitimate to say that since the theme of the book of Romans is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that when he says that I may have some fruit among you also, I'm sorry, when he says that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me, that that's a gospel reference because they share the same faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul wants to come, and he wants to stir them up to a greater understanding of the gospel, and as a result of that, to be able to be an encouragement to them. Now, what we're going to see here in the book of Romans as we go forward is that, is that all, the book of Romans is about how God has established the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and how that is the doorway into eternal life. But it's not just the doorway, it's also the foundation of eternal life. So there are going to be many things taught here in the book of Romans that show how the Christian life, various aspects of the Christian life, the benefits of the Christian life, uh, and even the practical aspects of the Christian life are all sort of tied in to the gospel. In other words, we need to be gospel people. And you say, well, aren't there other things taught in the Bible besides just how to get saved? Well, absolutely there are. But everything that we do and everything we are as a believer, as believers, has to be tied in to the foundation, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's, it's like laying a foundation for a building and then allowing the rebar to stick up so that then the rest of the structure can be tied in to the foundation. And so I think we're going to see that, that that Paul has this vision of the gospel, not that the gospel proclamation is anything and everything that we know from the scripture, but that everything hangs together on top of that. And so that's what we're going to look at uh, in these weeks uh, following. And so Paul longed to establish them in this truth. And I believe that as he's writing this epistle, that is exactly what he's seeking to do as well. He wants us to be established. And so we need... We need this gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I remember my uh, pastor, uh, my former pastor back in South Carolina used to tell this story about a, a young fellow back in the middle of the last century who was going to agricultural college, right? Back in the day, you, you might go to the state college to study agriculture if you were from a farming state. And so over the summer, he had to find a way to make money. And so one thing they, that he tried to do was to sell these books, these encyclopedias or, 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 or handbooks that were written for farmers to try to help them from the extension office, try to help them uh, do better, to try to help them have increased crop yields and be more successful at farming. So he's going all through these rural areas, going down these dirt roads, riding along, looking for people, the farmers to sell these books to. So he comes along, and he sees an old boy out under, the tra- uh, under a tree there sitting on his tractor, kind of chewing on a blade of grass. And so he starts trying to sell him these books. And he's selling him these books. I mean, he is enthusiastic about all these wonderful books. And the guy's just like noncommittal. He's just not even really responding very much. And finally, the young man gets so excited, he says, look, he says, if you buy these books, you would learn how to farm twice as good as you're farming now. And the farmer finally looked at him and said, son, I already know how to farm twice as good as I'm farming now. See, lots of times uh, the principle is we never really learn anything until we have the need to know. And I really think that's something that's going on here in the book of Romans. Paul is in this first part of the book, in the greeting and the introduction, he's establishing for us the need to know. Why should we spend the time studying this book? And that's a particularly important point because we have a tendency to think of the gospel message as for the lost. And because we tend to um, relegate it exclusively to the presentation of the gospel for how people get saved, we don't see the importance of it in our own lives. But I really believe our effectiveness and witness is largely tied to how much the gospel permeates our lives. Are we gospel people? Do we live in light of the gospel? Is the gospel a priority? Does the gospel form the foundation of our our lives and relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we are truly gospel people, it'll kind of like exude from us. And then when we go to explain it, there'll be some there'll be credibility and there'll be understanding. So I would like us at this point to just take a quick look at the outline that I gave you so you can get a sense as to what we're going to try to do for the rest of the study. So if you take a look at the analytical outline of Romans, you see you've got it on two sides here. And notice here that today we're looking at, this evening we're looking at the introduction, Paul's ministry of the gospel to the believers, chapter one, ver- verses one through, and I say 16, I believe verse 16 is the theme of the book, so it sort of is a hinge. It kind of introduces everything else in the book, but it's also, in a sense, the conclusion of the introduction. Then number two, and we will be, be uh, addressing this in two weeks. Um, goes all the way from 117 to 425. And notice the theme verse of that section is, for in in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And then really, I believe that the rest of that section, when Paul starts out talking about how everyone is under condemnation, the Gentiles are under condemnation, the Jews are under condemnation, and that there is no righteousness in the law. Then he goes on to show how God justifies the ungodly. And then he gives examples in chapter 4, mainly of Abraham, but also of David, to show that always people were justified by faith. The ungodly were justified by faith. So, so that then becomes this, this idea that the gospel reveals the only way to be right with a righteous God. And when we think of the gospel, that's what we often think about. When we think about the book of Romans, those are the chapters we often think about. Well then, when you move on, beginning in chapter 5 we see that the gospel secures to us all the blessings of reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ. In other words, what is the benefit of the gospel? Remember, Paul says in Romans 1.16 that it is the power of God unto salvation. Well, what's included in our salvation? And I really appreciate so much the message this morning that when we get our eyes back on God, then we see our circumstances in a different light But when we start to see what God has done for us in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it changes our perspective on everything that happens to us. Because we understand we're reconciled with God. We understand that we have peace with God. We understand that we are free; we are no longer under the dominion of sin and that we're freed from the, the requirements of the law to, to live up to the expectation in order to be right with God. And we understand that we have the Holy Spirit and we understand that even though we're living in sin, yet yet the Lord has given us victory over that and that we are not servants, we're sons and daughters of God. And we understand that, that, that one day we're going to be glorified and that that's the purpose of God's working in the whole universe. That's a pretty wonderful set of blessings, isn't it? How God has blessed us so much. So that goes all the way through the end of chapter eight. The gospel secures to us all the blessings of reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ. And then section four, that's chapters nine through 11. Those chapters are much debated and much discussed because they involve things like the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of people. And so a lot of debate and argument has taken place Uh, throughout uh, church history on those chapters. And of course, those are legitimate questions, and we may be able to touch on some of those issues a little bit to get a little better perspective. But my real goal there is to see that this is not just a parenthesis, I don't believe, in the book. Paul is basically saying that the gospel cannot fail to fulfill God's divine plan. In other words, the gospel is the culmination. It is the, it is the thing that makes sense of all of God's dealings throughout history. So in his dealings with Abraham, and then his dealings with the nation of Israel, and then his dealings now where, where the majority of the, of the nation has rejected the gospel, but the, now the gospel is going to the Gentiles and they're, they're in-gathering again. In other words, when, when Paul talks about how the Gentiles and, and the Jews come together into one body, and how important that is throughout the whole book of Romans, Paul is essentially saying that this is God's plan for the ages the gospel represents the culmination or the explanation of God's plan for the ages so it is it is a fulfillment of God's divine plan God's divine and eternal plan and so we see that uh, as we go through those three chapters and then in chapter and then in section five it's interesting that we get into what's called the practical section of Romans Which begins with Paul saying, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, the mercies he's expressed throughout the earlier part of the book, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And he goes on to show how the gospel then is lived out in a way that manifests the power of God. That if it weren't for the gospel, we couldn't live together the way we're supposed to live together. We couldn't resolve conflicts. We couldn't submit ourselves to the authorities God has placed unto us. We couldn't use our gifts in a way that would be glorifying to God. None of that would matter. None of that would work if we were not grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul is encouraging us to live in a way that manifests the excellence and power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, you can live a gospel life. Now, living a gospel life is not the same thing as telling people the gospel, but it is indispensable to effectively telling people the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then finally, the conclusion, Paul's partnership with the believers in the gospel. And there's this huge theme of partnership in this last part of the book where he gets into the greetings and he's expressing greetings and, and he is talking about how it is really important to him to be able to minister with them and then allow them to minister with him as he seeks to spread the gospel. And so the partnership and the spread of the gospel is essential. And that's how we conclude the book. So in, 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 as you look at all of this, then the theme, the theme of the book is really the gospel, the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So like I said, in two weeks, we're going to look at number two there and uh, seek to go through that section. And then we'll just proceed on through what we're doing. But this evening, what I'd like to look at is the introduction And the introduction really consists of two parts. Well, first of all, we see the introduction is dealing with a problem. The introduction is dealing with a problem. And the problem is that sometimes believers do not realize their need for the ministry of the gospel in their lives. We sometimes get a disconnect, right? And sometimes that's a function of how how we're, we, we, we've come to understand things or how we've been taught. Sometimes it's just a function of, of not really being careful as we're studying the scripture. But the idea is you get saved by the gospel and then you live the Christian life the best you can and finally God takes you to heaven. Right? It's been said that, that sometimes we, we uh, preach about uh, salvation and we sing about heaven and then, but what do you do in the meantime? Right? And so Christians need to know what to do in the meantime but sometimes we don't really see our need for that but there's a theological truth that's very important, and that is that God has sent us his message through his messenger to make us firm and faithful and go- fruitful in the gospel. That's what we see in these first 16 verses of chapter 1. God has sent us his messenger, and he sent him with the message. And we need to listen to it, and so that's really the takeaway. We must listen to what God has to say to us. This is important. This is important for our lives. It's also important for our ministries. We must be grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is establishing that in the first part of this, in the first part of his book. Now, as I mentioned, Paul, um, uh, in in, in the introduction to the book, and really I would say the introduction is either 1 through 15, verses 1 through 15, or 1 through 16, how you decide to divide it, But it contains two parts. First of all, Paul gives a greeting. That's in verses 1 through 7. And then in verses 8 through 15, he he describes his purpose and his desire to visit them in Rome and what he wants to accomplish, the implication being, I believe, what he wants to accomplish here in this letter. So both of those are important as we set it up. So what do we see here? Well, in this text we see three reasons why we must listen to God's messenger. Three reasons why we must listen to God's messenger. First is his authority is from Jesus Christ. Secondly, his passion is for our advancement in the gospel. And thirdly, his message is the most important thing that we will ever hear. Now, don't worry, you don't have to get all those filled in. We're going to go through those each individually. But those are the three main reasons why we must listen to God's messenger, because his authority is from Jesus Christ, his passion is for our advancement in the gospel, and his, uh, and his message is the most important thing that we will ever hear. So let's look, first of all, at the authority of the messenger. We must listen to God's messenger because his authority is from Jesus Christ himself. There's some things that we note here. Uh, First of all, I'd like you to notice all the references in these seven verses to Jesus Christ. Uh, We read, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the resurrection from the dead, by whom or through, through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience uh, to the faith among all nations, for his name, among whom you are also the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now it's interesting. Paul uses elements of what would have been a, a traditional greeting in a letter, right? We, 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 it's interesting. We say, dear so-and-so, and then we give the whole letter, and then we don't say who's writing it until the end, right? Which doesn't make a lot of sense, I don't think. But that's the way we do it. The way they would do it is they would say who's writing it first. So he'd say, Paul, and then he would say, okay, Paul, and then he would say the people he's writing to, to the Roman believers, and then he would say, greetings, Okay, that would be a very typical way of writing a letter. But Paul expands on that massively. It's really, it's really very long, his, interest, his greeting. And he is getting the theology in there. He's establishing what's really important. What's important about who he is and why he's writing, and what's important about the people he's writing to, and what's important about what they need to get out of the letter. <laughs> right? So the, the, the greeting is a really important part of Paul's letters. And we find this just wonderful theology in these, in these greetings. But notice how often we see Jesus Christ. And it's really not just that, because I, I didn't even mark the ones that were referring to Christ but did not use the word Jesus, words Jesus Christ. So if we go back, you see, Paul is a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He's called to be an apostle separate into the gospel of God, which he promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son. So that's a reference to Jesus Christ. And our Lord is a reference to Jesus Christ who, that's Jesus Christ, was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and he was declared to be the Son of God, another reference to Christ, with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations, for his name among whom you are also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is Christ through and through, right? The gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what we see here is that Paul's authority is from Jesus Christ. And the first thing we see in verse uh, 1 is that Jesus Christ is his master. He says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Now, there's so much that we could do just to unpack that that verse, those particular statements, but it's kind of interesting. It's almost like a bullseye. The outer ring is Paul, and the very first thing that he is is he is a bondservant. And and, and sometimes people, we, we, we wonder, what's God's will for my life? Well, the first thing is, are you a servant of Jesus Christ? That's the first thing. And in fact, when you're saved, you become a servant of Jesus Christ, whether you acknowledge it or not, you still are. And to the extent, I think in all in 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 all of us, right, we have this acknowledgement that yes, we belong to Jesus Christ, but there is a sort of like we still sort of reserve little areas for ourselves. And God, over the years, right, over a whole lifetime, is leading us more and more to an understanding that we are His servant, also obviously His beloved God's beloved children, but we are servants of Jesus Christ. But that's the foundational truth, right? You know, what was the first thing Paul said when the Lord Jesus Christ, right? He said, "Who are you, Lord?" And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. What was the first thing Paul, uh, Saul said to him? What would you have me do? Right, it's submission, right? He submitted to, to Jesus Christ. He says, I'm just gonna do what you tell me to do. And then the second thing was he was called to be an apostle. We know that he was called to be an apostle, capital A, right? One of the apostles. He had seen the resurrected Jesus Christ, and he was sent with this authority and this power, Right. But he was called to be an apostle. Sometimes I believe then God calls us to a particular type of service. He was called to be an apostle. Some are called to be pastors or uh, or, or missionaries or other things. And then it says he was separated under the gospel of God. That means he was an evangelist. He was his mission as an apostle was to take the gospel, especially to the to the Gentiles. But he is a servant of Jesus Christ. Right? That's the foundational truth. But Jesus Christ is not only his master. Jesus Christ is his message, verses two through four, which he promised through his prophets in the holy scriptures. So one and and, and one of the things that's beautiful about this introduction, and I'm I'm going to have to like just give you some sampling here because of time. But one thing that's beautiful about this introduction is you see the the um, a, a a foreshadowing of many of the themes that that you're going to see in the book, right? there's a huge emphasis on the book in the scriptures right in the old testament scriptures which are the foundation and Paul's appeal to the scriptures so he was this this gospel was promised through his prophets in the holy scriptures and it concerns his son and then we see there Jesus Christ our lord but it says his son who was born of the seed of david according to the flesh so he's the fulfillment of the davidic promises and then he was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So that is his exaltation and his power, I think, of Psalm 2, which says, it says, um, you are my son, today I have begotten you. That, and that, that's a reference to the resurrection. Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he has been declared, he has been, in a sense, made positionally ruler over all the universe and placed uh, the head over all things to the church. So Jesus Christ then is in this exaltation. And it's kind of interesting uh, that, that in our translation there are things done so that we can make sense of this paragraph because in reality we have this long sentence and one through six is one sentence. And, and there's kind of a breaking it up so we can do that because we don't write sentences that long. At least most of us don't. And then it's interesting the, the, the way that the structure works that we have concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, because that's who it's talking about. But if you look in the original, Jesus Christ our Lord is kind of like the exclamation point at the end of verse 4. It says, concerning his son who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power to the, uh, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's who he is. He is Jesus Christ, he is the Lord, but he's not just the Lord, who is he? He's our Lord. He's our Lord. And that reminds me of what Jehovah said to Israel in the Old Testament, right? Hear O Israel, the Lord our Lord, the Lord is one. Right? Jesus Christ is the Lord of all, but he we have a relationship with him personally through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is his message. But also Jesus Christ is his mission. Look at verses 5 through 7. Through him. Through whom? Through him. We have received grace and apostleship. So it's through Christ that Paul and the other leaders have received grace and this apostleship, this authority for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. And so Paul is taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And, and to us, that's just sort of like, okay, I get that, right? I mean, we've, we know about missions. We know that the gospel has gone to the whole world. But that was a big deal back then. Because remember, God's people were this one nation. God had chosen this one nation out of all the other nations. And Paul is now saying uh, in fulfillment or, or in echoing the Great Commission that the gospel is to go to everybody. Aren't you glad that the gospel's gone to all nations? Aren't you glad that that included you and it includes me? And, and sometimes we just go over that because we don't realize the impact of that, right? The, the, Jesus told the woman it's of Samaria, he said... He said, We know what we worship. He's talking about the Jewish people. He's talking about the Jews. He says, We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. Because they had the law, they had a relationship with God. And yet, the Gentiles are going to come in in massive salvation in fulfillment of the scriptures. That's the power of this gospel. Think about yourself. Think about people that you know who have been radically transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. People of all, from all walks of life, from all nations, every kindred and tongue and tribe and nation. So we have to listen to him because Christ is his mission, right? His mission is the exaltation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But secondly, we must listen to God's messenger because of his, pa- his passion is for our advancement in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Haven't you noticed that, that you're much more likely to listen to somebody that you think really has your interests at heart, right? One thing I just really, when we, when we first came here to uh, IBCS, I, was, I came and was doing some teaching for a while in the seminary and, and then more, got more and more involved, became the dean of the seminary, and then eventually we came over full-time but the more I got here, the more I was struck by the fact that the people, how the people here really care about each other, the way people prayed for each other, and the faculty and staff prayed for the students, but also how the students prayed for the faculty and staff, and how it's so much of a family. And you know what? It's easy to teach, to, it's easy to teach people when you have their heart, right? When you have their heart. And it's easy to give your heart to somebody if you think that you are in their heart, <laughs> Right? If you think, if you know that they, you, they really care about you. Well, who cares about us more than the Lord Jesus Christ? And here is, the, here is the apostle and he's saying, he is saying that he has this desire, he has a passion for our success. The reason Paul gave us this book, right? And of course, if that's the reason Paul gave it, it's the reason God gave it to us, right? Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to give us this book so that we could be fruitful and we could be successful. He wants us to be He has a passion for our advancement. Well, what do we see there? He has a passion for God's people, verses 8 through 12. Notice what he says here. He says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Now, it's interesting. Paul wants to go to Rome, all roads lead to Rome. But that also means that all roads lead from Rome. <laughs> in other words, the Roman Christians, because of the strategic location God had put them, they were having an impact throughout the, the whole known world. They were having an impact. People were talking about them and their faith. Their faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And I don't think that's hyperbole on Paul's part. He He's talking about the known world, of course. But everywhere I go, people are what? Talking about those Roman Christians. In other words, God had put them in a strategic location. You know, the Lord's put us in a strategic location. It's certainly not the only place where God's doing anything, but God has given us an opportunity to have an impact in lots of places by means of how we encourage one another and how we encourage those that go come to this place and how people encourage us and how we encourage people who are going out from this place. You know, can people say the faith of Tri-City Baptist Church is spoken of all over the place? I hope they can. I hope they can. It's a blessing. But he had a passion for God's people. Their faith was spoken of throughout the whole world. And he says, for God is my witness. Now, it's interesting. Paul's an apostle. He doesn't have to say God is my witness, (laughs) right? He doesn't have to say that. And when he does say that, he is saying something really important. Now, it's possible that uh, there was some, you know, the thought was, well, he had tried to get to Rome and he couldn't get to Rome. And maybe some of the Romans are starting to think, well, Paul doesn't really care about us. It's really important for Paul to, to make a solemn affirmation, a solemn affirmation that, that, um, that without ceasing, he makes mention of you, all, I make mention of you always in my prayers. And what is he asking for? Making request, if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you, for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. Look at the look at the feeling and the emotion in that. You know, and you know what? I mean, I realize Paul was writing to these Roman believers, but the Holy Spirit put that in him. And and that means that that's the heart that God has for us. God wants us to be established. And he's given us all that we need, every, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who's called us to, to, uh, by his glory and virtue. God wants you to be spiritually successful. He wants you to have an impact in this world. He wants us to receive the reward, the well done, good and faithful servant. He's for us. <laughs> That's one of the great things about the gospel is the realization that God is for me. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that something? He's not against me. He is for me. He wants my success. He is a, there's a passion for God's people. He's thankful for their testimony. I mentioned that. He prays for an opportunity to minister to them. But he also has a passion for gospel preaching. Paul has a passion for them, and then he has a passion for the gospel. Why? Because he knows the gospel is the means of establishing them. How can I establish them? How can I help them? What can I do for them? Tell them the truth. That's what. <laughs> Right, Tell them the truth. You know, it's, it's, um, it's been a real joy to be able to talk with people who just say things like, I am just so thankful that I'm getting fed the Word of God in the messages, the Sunday morning messages. And just, just when you see people that are hungry for the Word of God and they come to a place because they want to be fed by the Word of God, that's a joy. That's a joy for the preacher. It's a joy for the believer because what's the best thing you can do for somebody is to give them the truth. Now, I realize there are all kinds of other ways to minister people, and we don't want to be like it says in James and say, you know, brother, be warmed and filled and not meet their needs. But you know, one of the greatest needs that we have is the word of truth to encourage us and to change our thinking. He has a passion for gospel preaching. Look at verse 13. He says, now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. And then Paul is so passionate about this gospel that he is a debtor. He, he feels an obligation. And he feels an obligation to everybody. Right? And it's interesting, he talks about the Greeks and the barbarians. The Greeks were the Greek speakers and therefore were thought of sort of as, in a sense, Hellenized or civilized. And then the barbarians were those who, who were not in that group. So you can think today, well, I go to sophisticated people and I go to plain, ordinary people both to the wise and to the unwise. In other words, he's, he's giving categories that says, I am a debtor to everyone to give them this gospel. Sometimes we choose whom we give the gospel to. So as much as in me is, or as much as is in me, right? And again, we get so familiar with the book, we don't realize what he's saying. Paul is saying, look, this is everything I've got. With all I've got, I want to preach the gospel to you which are in Rome also. Paul had a passion to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wanted the gospel to bear fruit in Rome. He was ready to preach the gospel in Rome. So, so here is Paul, and he, has, he is a messenger. He, is his, he is, has the authority of Jesus Christ. He has a passion for our advancement. But there's a third thing. And that is we must listen to God's messenger because his message is the most important thing that we will ever hear. Now, it's difficult sometimes for us because we get familiar with what the Bible says and we think we know the Bible and we, I, I've read that and I've heard that preached and so many times and we, we're looking for something new. We're looking for an answer to problems. Let me just encourage you, and this is sort of, this is sort of autobiographical. I'm preaching to myself here. You know, it's a blessing. It's a blessing to see God working in the world, and it's a blessing to sometimes see some good results in the world, right? There's a lot of bad that you see in the world, but there's some things you see in the news that can be somewhat encouraging, at least temporarily, right, until the next bad thing happens. But it's not like it's all bad. But you know what? That's not our hope. That's not what's going to encourage us. That's not what's going to keep us going. It is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is, it's, it's good to get context, right? It's good to, to know things and know about our culture so we have context to communicate. But the answer is found in what God is communicating to us. It is in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so where do you look when you're discouraged? Do you looking for some bit of good news from a far country or from a far state or from a far place like Washington, D.C.? Where are you looking for good news? Are you looking where God tells us we will find it? It's the most important message we'll ever hear. Now, I wanted to drill down here a little bit because verse 16, I believe, is the theme verse for the whole book, and it's just rich. It's just rich. And just to give you some thoughts here. First of all, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now, it's quite possible, as I mentioned last week, that he is saying, Look, I, I strive not to be ashamed of the gospel. But I don't think that's really the point here. The point, I believe, is that he understand. if you understand the gospel, you won't be ashamed of the gospel. That's right. Right. If, if you know, I, 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 you know, I, it's like saying, you know, we will not be ashamed of the Tri City, um, 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 uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, the TCA boys basketball team because they have won the championship three years in a row and they went undefeated. It's not hard to not be ashamed of somebody that's winning, right? Now, if, you want, you know, if you're rooting for the Cardinals, that's a different story, right? It's, it's you know, then you say, okay, okay, put a bag on your head or something. But, I mean, but when your team is the champion three years in a row, right? It's like, it's like you know, pardon me. If you're from Pittsburgh, you know, forgive me, just, you know, ignore it, pretend like I'm talking about another team. But you know, it's like these, you know, back in the 70s, I hated the Steelers because they just whooped up on everybody, you know, for years, right? And then it's the Patriots. Anyway, the point is that you get, it's almost like you wish someone would knock them off, right? It could even make you root for the Giants. But but the point is that when when your team is winning, you don't have to, like, try hard to to be excited about them, right? And that's, I think, the point here. If we really understand what the gospel is, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why not? Because it is the power of God. That's why not. It's the power of God. How much power is that, right? I want us to think about the power of God. It is a message that releases the power of God. It releases the power of God. Now I want us to think just, just a little bit. Let's think about how much power, how much power that is. At 5.30 a.m. on July 16, 1945, a Los Alamos scientist detonated a plutonium bomb at a test site located on the U.S. Air Force Base at Alamogordo, New Mexico, some 120 miles south of Albuquerque. The yield of this bomb was between 19 and 23 kilotons. That is 19 to 23,000 tons of TNT. So if you took 19,000 to 23,000 tons of TNT and detonated it, that was the explosive force of this bomb. That was the first atomic bomb ever detonated. Um, 16 years later, October 1961, the Soviet Union detonate uh, a bomb they called the Tsar Bomba, right? Or the Tsar Bomb. It was a hydrogen bomb, and it was 50 megatons. That is 50 million tons of TNT. It was approximately 2,500 times as powerful as that bomb right there. And that's the most powerful explosive device that human beings have ever, ever unleashed on the planet. But did you know that every second Our sun produces the energy equivalent to 1.8 trillion Tsar bombs. Every second, 1.8 trillion. If you took the Tsar bomb, which is 26 feet long, if you took that and you took 1.8 trillion of them and laid them end to end, they would reach to the moon and back. That's the power of our sun, and that's every single second. Well, you know that our sun is just an average star, right? In a galaxy, the Milky Way, there are estimated to be between 100 and 400 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy, and as many as two trillion galaxies. And in fact, the more they look, the more they find, right? It's like they can't find the end. So Webb comes along and it's like, oh, probably a lot more. Two trillion galaxies. And that's just in the observable universe. The universe we can see with the instruments that we have. And God just spoke it. (laughs) He just said, hey, let it be. (laughs) He didn't say hey. He said let it be. (laughs) Let there be light. The hey was an interpolation. Uh, Let it be. Let it be. And it was. What does it mean? What does the power of God mean to you? How powerful is the power of God? But I would like to suggest something. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 through 20. Ephesians 1, 17 through 20. When God wanted to really, in the New Testament, brag about how powerful He's operating, his operating in the lives of believers, it's interesting, although He does refer in the Old Testament particularly to His great power in creation. That's a constant theme. But when you get to Ephesians and He, he is telling us that He wants us to know the great power that He has in our lives... Starting in verse 15, "...therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers." And then verse 17, "...that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know." And there are three things he wants us to know. The first is the hope of his calling... And the second is the riches of his glory of his inter- of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And the third one is the one he really he really kind of hammers on. It's the one he dwells upon and expands upon and he says, "And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe?" Okay? That's a gospel word, right? Believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. What that suggests to me is that the real power of God is found not in the suns and the supernovas and in the galaxies. That's minor league stuff compared to this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and the conquering of sin and death. You know, It's interesting. We can, we can set off thermonuclear weapons, right hydrogen bombs. We have the capacity. we've had the capacity since the 19, late 1940s, early 1950s, to do that. And yet we're still trying to harness we're still trying to harness uh, f- uh, fusion power uh, in, in a way that would be useful and productive and not destructive. It's a lot easier for us to destroy things than it is to do something productive and useful, right as a, as a, as a people. And yet the gospel of Jesus Christ is resurrection power. I just think we just need to meditate on the kind of power that is involved in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's not just a message that releases the power of God. It's also a message that brings the blessing of God. It's unto salvation. And I'm afraid we we talk about salvation so much, we just forget about what's included. And one of the glorious things about, about Ephesians chapter 5 through Ephesians chapter 8 is that's our salvation. And, and we don't have no time to go through all of that. But let me just say this. One of my most encouraging passages in, my, in, in, in the whole Bible to me is where it says in, in Romans, it says, being therefore or having been therefore justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what that means? Means when you're saved, when you trusted Jesus Christ, you are living under God's smile. (laughs) God smiles at you. God cares about you. God knows you. God works in your life, but God is pleased to have you. He's like the Father, and you're like the prodigal son, and He's glad to have you back. The gospel did that. The Gospel did that. It brings and and that's just one of the blessings in those chapters, right? Just one of the blessings. But it's a message that also shows the grace of God. It says to everyone that believeth. It magnifies and glorifies the grace of God. Now, what's the connection between grace and faith? Well, Paul makes it... uh, I'm sorry. We don't... (laughs) Let me just get to this. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to achieve it. Right? You don't have to be religious to get it. Right? It is by faith. But what is... What is the connection between grace, faith, and grace? He says, therefore... This is uh, chapter 4, verse 16. Justification is of faith that it might be according to grace. See, grace is a gift. Grace is not earned. Therefore, the only way to get grace is to trust God for it. If you try to pay for it, if you try to earn it, it's no longer grace. It becomes works. Right? Paul makes it very clear that grace and faith are, in, are, are, are joined at the hip, so to speak. Okay? Then it says, through Christ also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, Right? Through Christ, also, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And then finally, in Ephesians, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. By grace through faith. You can't separate grace from faith. Salvation has to be by faith because it is because of grace. But finally, it is a message that fulfills the plan of God. He says to the Jew first and also to the Greek, and that's chapters 9 through 11 especially as we'll see that. It fulfills God's eternal plan. So the question is, what will you do this week? Okay. Will you eagerly hear the gospel message? Will you eagerly hear, that is listen to, read, observe, listen to the gospel message? Will you diligently med- meditate upon it? Will you obediently apply the gospel message to your own life? And will you prayerfully share the gospel message with the lost?